I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open them with me to Mark chapter 10. This morning we're going to talk about a section really about marriage, though it's couched in Jesus being asked, tell us about divorce. We have a strange affinity in this country. We're in love with love. Most of the time you see a movie, hear a song, read a book, watch a, see a magazine article, it's about the infatuation of love, the giddiness of love, the, the, initial, uh, the initial attraction of love, the sexual side of love, the, 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 the touch of love, the way your heart flutters with love. I mean, it's about all those, all those aspects. But rarely do we hear that story in a romance novel about somebody that had a husband that was sick for years and she stood by him, better and worse. Rarely do we see the person who's in ICU for weeks or in a coma for months and that wife never leaves or the husband never leaves their side. We don't read so often about those who have Alzheimer's and a remaining mate is faithful to care for them. That, that side of love we don't, we don't relish. We'd rather see that 18 to 20 year old and they're, they're giddy and excited and experiencing life. We're in love with love. But sadly, sometimes when that, when that, love, when that person that's dating decides they're going to get married, there's something about that mate that is not what they realized. The older I get, the more I understand from having talked to people for these 46 years, that sometimes once the band is on the finger, there's almost an attitude, you're mine now, and that can go with either gender. The wife can say, well, I don't have to do anything, you're mine now. The husband say, well, I sure don't have to do anything to support you, you're mine now. Oh my, that's not how you treated each other when you dated, and if it is, you shouldn't have married. Because the truth is, all you do when you put on a band is say, I'd like to have the right to be able to earn your affection, your respect, and your love till I die, or you'd precede me in death. May I have that honor. And so often we don't see people entering in that, that way. Sometimes that marriage that you enter into was not the dream. That dream very quickly became a nightmare. And sometimes it doesn't take long to begin to realize, uh-oh, Sometimes before the honeymoon's over, you begin to see signs. You think, where did you hide that all those months we were dating? When we get to Mark chapter 10, we realize that that world then is no different from the world today. And that is men and women sometimes say, I, I, don't, I, I just can't settle down. I, I, I'm tired of you. I want another one, and I want another one. It's said in the latter days of the Roman Empire, Roman men gauged their lives by who they were married to what year. So instead of saying it's the year 39, they'd say, well, that's the year I was married to Salome. That's the year I was married to Mariamne. That's the year I was married. And they'd start naming who they were married to. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And they would date it depending on who they lived with that year in marriage. Well, obviously, if you have serial marriage, what you're trying to find is legalization of prostitution or of adultery. If you have one a year, you don't really understand the concept of till death do me part, better and worse. And so what you had in the days of Jesus are two views. You had a very liberal view represented by two rabbis, incidentally. The very liberal view you can remember is Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, three L's for liberal. <laughs> Hillel, he was liberal. He said, get rid of her for anything. Burns your toast, put her on the street. She, she didn't sew your button on right, get rid of her. You, she, she doesn't look good in the morning, tank her. You don't need her. That's Hillel, liberal, liberal. Then you had Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I, and he said, you, you, you're, not, you're not getting out of there. You, you can't leave, no matter what. We have, over the years, I've met with people who say, listen, my husband drinks, and when he gets drink, he, he beats me and he beats our children, but I know, I know I need to stay. Listen, you need to get some space between you and him, and if he doesn't make major changes, you, you need to get some space. Shammai said, you can't get space. 
I don't care how violent it is and how much a threat you are and how bad he beats up your children. You said, now, now listen to me. God never intended marriage to be a prison. He intended to be a fulfillment of a balancing between a male and a female. So, and you, this is trite, but it's true. So the joys you have are shared by two and the burdens are carried by both. And, and so here's the picture. You have this very, 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 very ultra-conservative view and you have this very, very liberal view and Jesus is coming to the point he's on his way toward Jerusalem for the latter part of his ministry. And the, the Bible picks up chapter 10, verse 1. Here's what it says. Mark, Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel, chapter 10. Mark 10, verse 1. He set out from there, and he went to the region of Judea. And he's been around the Galilee. He's been around the Galilee, so he's heading south. Now, pause just a minute. In case you're a new believer, let me remind you, Israel is really three zones. Three zones. You have the northern kingdom, which is Israel. You have the middle area, which is Samaria. You have the lower area, which is called Judah. You have Judah, Samaria, and Israel. And then if you cross the Jordan, right here on the other side is the area called Perea, or the Transjordan. It's not the West Bank. The West Bank's on the Mediterranean. It's the East Bank of the Jordan. And so you have at the top of Israel, Samaria, which Jews didn't want to travel through because they said they're half-breeds, and Judah with a little handprint of a piece of land on the other side of the Jordan called Perea. Now let's look see where he's going. He set out from there to Jerusalem, but look at this, to the region of Judea, and he crossed over the Jordan into the area of Perea. So he's come from Galilee. He's not going through Samaria this trip. He crossed over the Jordan. He's going to go through Perea and come out down in Judea and not go through Samaria. That's what it's saying. The crowds converged on him again, and as, as he usually did, he began teaching them once more. Verse 2, some Pharisees, now these are those, they're like American press. They're not looking for a story, they're looking for a quote that justifies what they believe. You, you see, there are people that talk to you. Over the years, I've had couples that come talk to me. They don't want to know what the Bible says. They're looking for, one of us, pastor, is right. I, I think it's me. Verify what I've said is true. I, I don't want to hear scripture. Do you, not, do you not think I'm right to do this? See, what we're looking for is verification, not truth. What we're looking for is affirmation. A, a, am I right? Well, he, here's the Pharisees. We know we're right. We, we know we're right. You've got, to be, you've got to be taken out. And so as they're asking questions, it's not for information. They're baiting them with traps. We're, we're going to catch you sooner or later. You, nobody's that good. Well, they were doing Son of God. They didn't realize. But, but, but nobody's that good. We'll, we're going we're to get you. We'll, if we can't get you, we'll start a story that sounds verifiable, uh, sounds uh, like it has veracity. We'll get you. So, so here's the story. Some Pharisees, verse 2 approached Jesus, and it even says why they came. They came to test him. They, they weren't looking for information. And they asked him, now notice the question, where are they? They're in Perea. I'm going to explain that in a minute. They've come across the Jordan in Perea, and they asked him, uh, Rabbi, can a man really divorce his wife? Is that okay? Now, now, now pause a minute. Why, why are they in Perea? Why, why, would they, why didn't they ask him that over here in, in the Galilee? Because Perea is the place where a man named John, the Baptist, preached. Better repent, make straight the way, prepare the way of the Lord. And in that sermon, in, in his process of preaching, Herod was fascinated by him and brought him in. And John immediately didn't tone down his message. He said, you're an adulterer. 
He, here's the king. John's Baptist preacher. It says so John the Baptist. He, he was a Baptist preacher. <laughs> you know I'm right. You know it. <laughs> and John said to Herod, you're an adulterer. You took your brother. Now, now, now I don't know if y'all got brothers. You took your brother's wife to be your own. Philip had originally been married, the guy who, who remodeled Caesarea Philippi in all humility, named it for himself. Philip was married to Herodias. Herod said, I like Herodias. So Herod Antipas took Philip, his brother, he took Philip's wife and made her his own. And John the Baptist said, you're a sinner. That doesn't sit well with the king. Where did he make that statement? In the area of Perea. John was just on the other side of the Jordan baptizing, and that's where he was arrested for his sermons, and he nailed Herod for his sermon on marriage. Now they got this second rabbi named Jesus, and they're having deja vu. Oh, good. This is where we got John. Let's ask him the same question. Maybe he'll say something. Herod will take him in, take him off our heads. He'll cut his head off. We're done. So don't think this is an accident. It's telling you where he's preaching the sermon. Context and location are everything. So he's gone across the Jordan. They say, a rabbi, can you, can you hear him trying to sound, trying to sound neutral, knowing all along we're, we're, we're listening with bated ears. Is it, is it okay for a man? You ever heard Jewish folks ask each other questions, or especially the older men ask, uh, sir, do you think it'd be okay for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus said, well, let's, you, you like the law. I believe in the law. I came to fulfill the law. What did Moses say? Oh, well, that's easy. Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. They thought, hot dog, we got that one. Yeah, Jesus said, that's true, but. <laughs> oh, my, he's about to derail the train. Jesus told them he wrote this for you because what? You have cardiosclerodoma, scleroma. You have a hardened heart. Your heart is like stone. You have, no, you have no use for the law of God. You have use for how the law plays into your hands for power. You have no use for God's intention. You have a use for the law to club each other. God didn't give you permission because it was his first choice. He gave it because your hearts were hard. What does that mean? Man left to himself gets mean. I'm not asking wives today to stand up and give testimonies. See, many a wife has those moments where she says, you scare me. You're at behavior. It, it, it bothers me. You, 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 you make me afraid for my children. See, it's, it's bad. Now, not every man, but there's some men, pretty scary individuals. And Jesus said, listen, when your heart's hard, that lady doesn't have any way out. That, that lady has no way out. If she can't get any help, she has no way out. So why, why did God permit? No, he didn't say, and God commanded you could get a divorce. No, he didn't command it. He, he said, my desire is for you not to have to live in a place where you're in a prison when you're the innocent victim. Now, sometimes, we're going to get to that in a minute. In case you're wondering, the Jesus various or the various New Testament views on marriage, read 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, it lists several views Regarding when is it appropriate and allowed for a person to leave their mate. 
1 Corinthians 7, when should you marry and not marry? 1 Corinthians 7. So here he says, here's the problem. Moses did permit you to write a divorce and, and to send, write out divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus said to them, he wrote this because of the hardness of your hearts. But now let me take you back even before Moses. Now, now he said, you, you got the law down, but you've, you have forgotten what did God plan for us? Well, what was God's first intention? So here's what he says. He wrote this commandment for you because of the hardness of your hearts, but from the beginning of creation, th this generation does not believe this. There are 58 choices a day on gender. <laughs> I barely got through biology when there were two. God made just two. God made... God made two. But we don't believe this book anymore, so therefore we're heading in some turbulent water. God made them male and female, and he did it for a reason. And that's what happened when we opened the door to God's rationale for a male and female being joined together. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. What reason? God made them different so a man can leave the difference of his dad's approach to parenting and his mom's approach to parenting and his father's advice for life and his mom's advice for life and the way they go about it. A man has grown up where he's seen how a man is supposed to treat a woman and how a woman is supposed to respond and treat a man. And now that man is ready to go out and say, I understand it. Why? If the foundation of his background is strong, then he has a much better chance of building a godly home. Why? I know how to act, Dad. I watched you. I worked beside you. I saw how you treated Mother and what you did with her and for her, and I got it. And his mom says, now, don't you treat that girl. You know how, you know, you know how you're supposed to treat somebody. How did I teach, teach, teach you to treat me? Yes, Mom, I, I got it. So for this cause, son, are you ready? Yes, ma'am. Are you ready, son? Yes, sir. For this cause, shall a man leave his father and mother? By the way, there's a willful leaving for there can be a cleaving. You can't stay with mama. You can't stay tied to mama's apron strings and be all you need to be to your wife. You promise to forsake all others, not just those you dated, but those others that are intrusive into your life. You say, well, you mean my son can't visit me? I didn't say that. But mom, if you're still telling that boy what to do and he's 45 and married, <laughs> you've overstretched. The Bible says leave. I didn't say it. The Bible says leave father and mother for a purpose and cleave to your wife so that the two, without intrusion and division, can become one flesh. Why did he make men and women different bodily? To be joined in spirit equal. Before God, the ground's level, spiritually. But he made us different in body, different in mind and emotions. So we can become one and complement each other. If you are absolutely, if one of you is totally silent always, well, you're one, but it's by abdication. A true marriage, I didn't say it, I didn't say it, so just quote Paul. Paul said, I would encourage you not to get married. If you're not married, be like me, because marriage is a thalipsis, tribulation. For two people to really come to love each other in all of their differences and learn what you can accept and what you must accept and learn what you can give and what you'll receive and what you give if you don't receive you learn a lot about you 
And so the Bible says, here's God's plan for marriage. You need the two become one. They're no longer two, verse 8, but they're one. Therefore, and we hear this at weddings all the time, it's biblical. What God is joining, it's not talking about the wedding ceremony, though that's where we use it. How long does it take for two to become one? I was talking to a couple this past week, been married 63 years. I think that's a good start. We got folks in this room, been married several couples, been married 50 plus. You don't become one just because you join hands and say, I do. You're going to have a few thalipsis moments in there. But in the midst of that, iron sharpening iron, if you really love each other and you love the Lord, the more you love Him, the more you love Him, now you're at least on a journey together. And the more you love Him, the closer you're becoming to Him and the closer you become to each other. That's what the, I'm just saying what it says here. Verse 10. Even the disciples were concerned. Some of you say, oh me, I think this is going to be a hard sermon. Well, you're in line with the disciples. After Jesus said that publicly, they did what they normally do when they're confused. They ask him privately, smart men. I didn't want to ask him in front of everybody. So in the house, the disciples questioned him again about his sermon on marriage and divorce. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever divorces her husband and marries another commits adultery. So we're going to get to that last. And that's always the one that creates so many questions. So I'm going to do it briefly. Here we go. For a location event, as I said, was in Perea, the place where John the Baptist was beheaded for his sermon series on marriage. They took Jesus, or in that place they took Jesus. The crowds were already gathering, and they said, let's ask him the big one now. Now he's in this zone where John the Baptist's past is well known. It's still fresh on our minds. By the way, if you don't know about John the Baptist, Mark 6. Mark 6 will tell you the story of John the Baptist and how he's beheaded. So he's in Perea, and here comes the test. The Pharisees were just jabbing. They, didn't, they, didn't have, they, they, they weren't looking for information. You see, you know when somebody's really listening to you, when somebody's just saying, okay, go, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Boy, when you say it, I'm just telling you, you're going to make me mad. Some of you are sitting that way this morning about divorce. When you say it, I'm, I'm telling you right now. Can, can you just hear the sermon? See, see, there are people that came to Jesus, and they came with bated ears because they said, I don't, I don't like you. And there have been people through the years, you and I just in leadership, presidents that come and go and congressmen come and go and you say, I don't care what you say, I don't respect you or like you, so I don't think you're going to say anything to sway me. And so here's the picture of these Pharisees that come to Jesus and they can't stand him. It's not a question of maybe we'll come to like you if we talk to you more. They weren't coming to listen. They didn't come like Nicodemus at night and say, please explain this to me. They came saying, tell us, can you get a divorce for any reason? And so the Bible says, then he goes back to the law. He answers their question with a question. That's a Jewish conversation method. So often when they say, Master, we have heard, what do you say? He said, have you not read? We, we have heard, he said, it is written, have you not read? Or in this case, we understand, he says, what did Moses say? It's a Jewish method of conversation. You answer a question with a question, and really what you're trying to do is cause the person to tell you what they think and work through their thought process before you really speak to that. Jesus is walking in Caesarea Philippi, and he's getting ready to, to, to he knows what Peter's going to confess, so he asks him a question to get them thinking. Who do men say that I am? Jeremiah, John the Baptist. Who do you say? You're the Christ. 
So through questions, you could pick the other person's brain and begin to get the information so they'd answer their own question. Here Jesus asked them the question, what does Moses say? And really what they're asking, are you a liberal? Don't we love to categorize folks? Are you liberal or are you conservative? Uh, Are you you a a literalist when it comes to Scripture? Are you more just open-minded? See, see, we're always trying to put people in a pigeonhole, believing if we can get that hole, then we pretty well figure out everything they're going to say. So at this point, they're saying, Jesus, we just want to know, are you liberal or are you conservative? Here's what it says. Jesus answered their question by standing on the law. Now I want you to hear me. We don't, we don't live under the law, but we don't leave at, live absent from its influence. What does that mean? I can't get to heaven by obeying the law. You know why? I am a sorry law keeper. The truth is, in everything we do, we sooner or later sin. We sin. We sin because our nature has fallen, and we sin because it's easy for our flesh. And before we know it, we've done something we shouldn't, and we feel awful. If you're a Christian, you feel awful. But we sin. We don't have trouble with Ten Commandments. We have trouble with one. We have those areas, just one, just one thing somebody says don't do, and we do. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar, but I bet somebody sinned on the way to church this morning. Anybody go through a 40-mile-an-hour zone a little quicker than that? <laughs> Aren't you glad I didn't have you come to the altar? Anybody here do a roll through at a stop sign? Boy, y'all look pious when I ask. We're sinners. So here's the problem. See, we're always looking to find an out versus find our way to be convicted and change. What I really want is to believe, well, I didn't do bad, did I? What I, 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 I didn't do bad, did I? So we're looking for that opportunity to say, you, you did great. And so they came to Jesus and said, are you a liberal? No. Are you conservative? No. I honor the law. I, I'm strict. I'm a strict, legal, strictly legal person. Jesus didn't come to destroy it. He didn't come to diminish it. He came to fulfill it. So here's what he says. Or here's what they say. Well, you know, Moses... Moses said we could divorce if we just wrote it out. Now, why, why, did, why did Moses say that? Well, first of all, Jesus said because the heart is their heart. But, but why? In biblical times, all you had to do to divorce your wife, in biblical times, all you had to do to divorce your wife, and again, if you're a Hillel group or a liberal, then it's for anything. I mean, it could be anything. Shammai said if there's absolute proof of sexual impurity. But other than that, you know, you have to stay with her. So, so here's what the, the, the law said. We're going to take the liberal view. If you just want to get rid of your wife, all you had to do is take her by the arm, take her to the front door of your house, announce out loud three times a three, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it's done. She's out of there. Now, now the problem is when you divorced a woman then and put her on the street, she had no income because women didn't work very, very, rarely, very rarely worked at a craft, if they worked, it was to sell something out of their home. Maybe they sewed a little extra, made a little extra bread. But, I mean, they really didn't have a means for self-support. If they had their children and the husband said, take your kids with you, I don't want any of you. Now it's a single woman out on the street with nothing. That's why Scripture says of Joseph, when it was discovered that Mary was pregnant, he had determined he's going to put her away privately. He was going to divorce her, he's going to leave her, but not announce it and shove her out with nothing. He still had a heart of mercy for a lady he loved. 
So the problem then was all you had to do is say, I don't like you, stand at the door and announce it, and you're out of there. So Moses said, God said, Moses, have them write it out. Why? It's an amazing thing when you sit down and write out something. You'll scratch this out and add this and scratch and scratch. And then you tear that up and say, well, that's really not it. And you start over. And what he's saying is if you respond to emotion anytime you're angry, you're going to do something you regret. Could I have a testimony? See, if you respond in emotion, many times you say, I, I, I sure wish I hadn't done that, but it's too late. It's too late. I, I think Herod felt that after he'd sentenced John the Baptist to have his head cut off. He responded, you can have up to half my kingdom before he thought through, what is this this girl's going to ask of me? But he'd spoken and he had witnesses. You ever done something you really wish you hadn't done, but you did it in a moment without thinking and came back later and for a lifetime said, goodness, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. So Jesus said, Moses said, sit down and write out why. If a man has to, and back then it wasn't easy, because first of all, they didn't have a lot of paper. They had to go find a papyrus or a sheepskin or something they could write on. And then they had to find a quill, and then they had to find some way to write, you know, something to write with, charcoal and water or something. And, and so it wasn't like you would go get a ball pit, ball, ballpoint pen and a paper out of our stack. They had to go find stuff to write with, so that in itself takes a little time. And you probably got to ask your wife, where is it? I'm getting ready to write a divorce. you wear it. You know men. Don't look at me that way. You, you know that's true. And so the man's got to say, I'm wanting to divorce you. Where's the paper? Is she going to be quick to get it? <laughs> Are y'all listening to any of this? This is a good sermon. See, she's got to get him to go get the paper. He's got to get her to get the paper and then go find the quill and get the ink. And by then she's, she's saying, could I get you a little something to drink while you're writing? Are you hungry? I'll get you a little pita with some fish on it. Your shirt's dirty. Here, let me get that cleaned up for you. Go ahead and write. I don't want to bother you. <laughs> you women, oh my. So, see, the Bible says when he was told to write it, he had to think about it. And the more he thought about it, the more he thought, you know, I don't want to get rid of you. I was mad. I, I reacted in a moment. I, down deep inside, I love you. I'm just aggravated because that's the third time you've done that, and that just sets me off. Well, can we talk about it? Yeah, I'll take this and throw it away. Let's talk. What happens if you have to write it out? Jesus was saying most of the time, the reason Moses granted most of the time when you have to sit and write it out, and she's in the room. Those houses weren't big. You're sitting right there under a little lamp in her house, in her, at her sewing table with a piece of paper she brought you and a quill she had to find for you and the ink she had to make for you, and you're telling her, These, let me count the ways I hate you. He said, very likely you're going to throw that away. So what was he saying? Let mercy prevail. And when you think it through, throw it away. Early in my life, I felt obligated. I need to respond to every letter. And boy, I wrote some good ones. But as is my custom, I normally have somebody proof it for me, a clerical person proof it for me. And in those days, I had a very sweet lady say to me, and Roe does the same thing on occasion. But this lady said to me, pass us an excellent letter. So, so you like it? I didn't say that. I said, that's an excellent letter, but don't mail it. Why? Well, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm just saying what you said is going to stir up some stuff. Don't mail it. 
I found out real early you don't ever have to apologize for when you didn't mail. Y'all not listening. See, you don't ever have to apologize to your wife if you don't follow through with the anger. Now, I'm not talking about the divorce. I'm talking about just anger. If you don't respond in emotional anger, you don't have to apologize because you held it under control. So he said, he did grant you that, but here's God's purpose. And let's get to that quickly. God said what he wants is the two of you to become one. He said, God made the male and female in viva la difference, right? Listen, ladies, we like you. And we're mystified. Most of y'all have one of us you like. I mean, that, th- that blows our minds. There's something about a lady's gentleness and her voice and just the way she carries herself and uh, her, her mannerisms and her gentleness and the way she, she provides for you in the home and the way she just does stuff for you without being asked and the way she makes your life better when she makes you think you're just really special. And some of you ladies know what it's like to have a man who treasures you, holds you up as the queen of his household and honors you and says those things that you long to hear and you don't have to hear them from another man because your husband is so good at saying it so often you think there's no other man could say to me what you say to me all the time and your marriage is one of reinforcements not you don't have disagreements but you learn in those disagreements to work through them and pray together and say let's do better and so he said what was God's purpose I'm gonna make one of you this way physically I'm gonna make one of you this way physically and you're gonna come to love each other and you're going to work together. One is a help meet, not help mate. I know that's what we saw often here in marriage. Help meet is a Hebrew word. It means that one to meet the needs and balance the life of the other person. A helper that meets the need of balancing the other person. The Bible says men are out of whack. We need somebody to balance us. And so God took from Adam a rib, knocked Adam out so he'd never say, look what God and me made. God and me didn't make it. God made her, brought her to the man, and she's there to balance him. When the Bible says because they're different, they finally come together in marriage. As one notice, dating privileges don't get to enjoy marriage privileges. The next service won't take that as well as you did. Dating privileges don't allow marital privileges. Because in marriage, when the two consummate that marriage, it doesn't mean, wow, we're instantly one. You're one physically. But the longer you're married, if you really love each other, the physical consummation is the picture of an internal commitment. The physical consummation is the picture of internal commitment. I love you, and you really are just a part of me. I tell you, I don't know what I'd do without you. Now, the sad thing is, when people enjoy the physical without the reality then they live like animals and it's real easy to say next next I'm tired of you give me a next next that's not God's intention God said I want you to find one and here's the deal through the process I'm going to be building now look at this I'm going to be doing a work of building a man and I'm in the process of building a woman that when they're together, they're a formidable force in my hand to do my will. Now, what happens? If they really walk with God, I've said this so many times, you're bound to say this in your sleep. If they're really walking toward God, they're what? They're getting closer, and the closer they get to Him, the closer they are together. And that's why some of you say, 
I, I don't know what I'd do without you. You're not saying, boy, I tell you, I didn't dream we'd make it 50. I thought, sure, you'd die for now, John Brown. You don't say that. You don't say that. You say, goodness, what a, what a wonderful joy this is. I remember, so I don't know who said it. I remember a couple been married 60-plus year, long time. And a young man was talking to, I think his grandfather, doesn't matter, it was the man who had been married 60. The young man asked grandfather, Grandfather, you sure did live with her a lot. You sure have lived with her a long time. He said it had been a lot longer without her. True or false? Yeah. So, so what is marriage? God's working on a man. He's working on a woman. He's building them together in a marvelous union. And let's suppose at some point the man pulls away. Or the woman pulls away and says, I'm out of here. Now, now what happens is then the building project of God goes away because now he can't do that same work. The, the work of God has been stopped. So if it said, for this cause, a man shall leave father and mother. He's going to cleave to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So what's the problem? The problem is when people say, I just, I just want out. I, I just want out. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Well, l- let's see what it says. God said, whatever God has joined together, don't, don't separate his man, meaning... God's at work here. You know, every marriage ought to have a sign out front. Every home ought to have a sign out front that says, God at work. Maybe some orange barrels around the house. Construction zone. How does it feel to get hammered? Anybody want to give a testimony? How hard is your heart, ladies? How hard is your head, men? Are there some days you say, boy, just when is God going to let up? He said, when are you going to surrender? See, the truth is God's at work and he's shaping us to become like him. And you understand these people have been here 50, 60 more years that know Christ. You understand what a testament of God's grace that is? Now, what happens? Let's suppose, let me take that quick step into the realm where angels fear to tread those last verses here's what it says whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery and if she divorces her husband marries another she commits adultery now what I'm going to say today I know some of you are going to get mad and some of you going to say you didn't come down hard enough some going to say I can't believe you said that I understand because this is this is thin ice but here we go remember God's desire is for us to be married. He, he never delights in divorce. But you know what? 46 years in the ministry, I've never met a husband or a wife come forward during the process, during the process that's leading up to their desire to divorce, meaning it's already so bad, they just, they're hurting and they want a place to unload, or through the process of divorce when everything they've dreamed of is gonna, is gonna come down at the, at the fall of a gavel and be separated. I've never had a man or woman come and say, boy, this divorce is wonderful, I'm loving every minute, it's just splendor, I can't wait to see what this is gonna do to my heart, and I just, it's just, a, it's just so good. You hate divorce. Everybody I've ever talked to who's been through a divorce say, Pastor, it's the most awful thing you can't imagine, and I can't. I know what it's like to have a friend turn on you and walk out and try to treat you bad. You say, Pastor, that doesn't even compare. That's right. Why? When you stood in an altar, you intended for that marriage to be the very best thing that ever happened. In the back of your mind, you knew there were some that divorced, but you were convinced that is not going to be us. 
You married a man because you said, I love you. I can't imagine ever loving another. And some of you have honestly kept that. Some men said, I love you, and I can't imagine, ever imagine loving another. And some of you kept that. But the problem is, once you're married, several things can happen. And been too many days ago, I talked to a young lady. And shortly after she married, in fact, she said, even on our honeymoon, I saw two things that made me think, who have I married on our honeymoon? Who have I married? And he became horribly, horribly abusive, began to threaten her and hurt her, beat her up to the point she was fearful of her life. And she said, Pastor, I, I, I'll always regret the day we got divorced, but I, when I had a child, I couldn't stay because I was afraid for her. I didn't say to her, well, you need to, to get back in there. Now you need, listen, I don't want to sleep with one eye open wondering if Janine's going to kill me. We all look like she's justified in that, but I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. See, I, I, I want to live where when she's with me, I say, I, I couldn't imagine being with anybody else. And I, I know if she were here, she'd say she comes next hour, but if she were in this earth, she'd say, I, I think she'd say, I hope she'd say, I like being with Nick. <laughs> if she doesn't say that, don't tell me. I don't, I don't want to know. So, so, so here's, what, here's what God said. He said he hates divorce. Why? Because it leaves everybody wounded. God can't finish the work. He started in two. God now has to deal with healing of heart of the wounded victim. And he has to deal with the person who's got a hard heart that's turned away. The Bible says he allowed the divorce because what happens when a heart gets hard? I am not changing. I don't have the problem. I don't need counseling. You do. Don't tell me I need to change. You married me like I was. You knew this. That's a hard heart. See, when your heart gets so hard, you're not willing to listen to be able to move toward your mate again. The Bible says God permitted it not because you were doing so good, but because somebody's heart's gotten so hard that that marriage has become a prison. Now, if we stay absolutely, totally ultra-conservative, then neither a man nor a woman has an out. Even the, law, even the law said God granted permission. Now, some of you say, well, then that's all I need. I'm out of here. No, no, hear me. I won't reveal who's, and there's several in this room that have been through horrendous times in your marriage. Some of you got married and the mate wound up being addicted to medications and almost wrecked your whole income in your household. Some of you in the room got in trouble because you got into porn and the wife saw it and it was so addictive, it was on everything. And she thought, I can't say, but she worked through it and you worked through it and you're together. Some of you have been through an affair with one mate or the other. And it left you feeling like, I can't breathe, preacher. I've never hurt so bad in my life, but you were willing to forgive and he was willing to come back or he was willing to forgive and you came back and now your marriage is together again. So hear me, just because God said I will allow it and permit it doesn't mean God said I sanction and delight in it. Here's what I would say to you. Those who have been divorced, you know how much you hurt when that happened. But you also know in the goodness of God that he's allowed you to come back and find another. Now, here's the dilemma. When is it adultery? Well, if a person goes out with another person and they're not your mate and they commit emotional or, or, or literally physical adultery, that's adultery. You don't need me to explain that. 
a man sleeps with a woman that's not his wife, that's adultery. A woman sleeps with a man not her husband, that's adultery. You don't even need to explain that. And the Bible says for adultery, you're justified. Why? Because if I treat the most intimate part of a union that demonstrates the oneness with my mate, if I treat that with contempt, then it brings everything else into question. So do you feel that way about our home? Do you have that lowest standard of our children? So suddenly everything in that victim's mind is, is everything on the table. Last thing is, remember the question here. They've asked Jesus out about marriage in a, in a zone where John the Baptist got in trouble, and it's a, an area where liberality was prevalent. So they're really saying, come on now, can't we get divorced for any reason? Now, now hear me. If you start getting married and divorced and married and divorced and married, and I mean every year, 18 months, you're looking for, well, I, that one wasn't good and that one, that one wasn't good. That, and now you've got this whole string of serial marriages. You've tried to find a legalization and justification for adultery. So if you say, I want to put her away because I want a different one. I'm going to cash mine in for a younger one. He, he said, listen, why did God put you together for the two to become one? Now you're pulling out of this why? So what he said is, listen, God's intention with Moses Moses granted a written permission, a permission for writ. God's intention from the beginning was till death do you part. In between, in case there's those, in the case of those instances where there's something that's so brutal, so bad, so ugly, or so sexually displeasing to God, there's a possibility, a permission for you to say, I want to start over. But I would caution you here. If you think that's you and you're close, I encourage you to see a pastor and get biblical counseling because to make a general statement today, it does not always apply to each situation. It is a general principle. My, leap, my, joy, my, my heart today is not trying to find an opportunity for you to get out. It's to find the rationale for why God said stay in, work it out, because I'm doing a work in you. Got it? I hope so. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, this morning we've had an opportunity to see the heart of God and what you really desire for us and the why of marriage. You never said, I'm going to make any two anythings that can come together. It's fine with me. That's not what you said. Our world has tried to make something civil that is divine in origin and it's not working. And the further we go trying to ram that which is erroneous down the throats of a nation, the more we see the evil that is behind it and the hurt that it causes. There's nobody in this room that's been through a divorce that says that was a most marvelous experience. I'd recommend it for everybody. But then the scripture says God hates divorce too. You hate it because it means the work between a man and a woman is finished. You can't work on their home because they're not working on their home. And yet in your grace, you permitted Moses the opportunity to write a writ, to have a writ of divorce. Not your will, not your desire, but a permission. And so I'd pray today for those in the room that have been divorced, are divorced. God, please, if they've not gotten with you, and i got to believe they have, but if they've not gotten with you, I pray that they will and 
restore again the, uh, their desire to ask forgiveness if they have not. Ask for get forgiveness of God and then rejoice in the mercies of God that allow for a beginning again to bury their, their, their sin in your grace. And that's not cheap grace, that's obedience to truly turn from it, to turn to Christ. For those that are married and they're struggling, I pray they'll see that really God wants us to be together. If it becomes an absolute impossibility, then we need to seek all the counsel we can before we proceed to make very sure that we've exhausted every, every resource to keep from pulling apart. Father, I pray today for homes that are under attack by the enemy. And I pray today you'll give comfort and healing and hope and help so that every marriage can be a radiant example of the two becoming one in mind and spirit and body and finances and family and social arenas and spiritual endeavors, that that man and woman will become one in all that that means. I pray today for the children of those kind of homes and the children of broken homes. And I pray today you'll touch them, restore them as children, renew their hearts to the love of the Lord and help them to grow in the nurture of the Lord. For those that may need to come this morning on profession of faith or for baptism or to join the church, for those who'd say, I just want to come and pray for my children. They're really going through it. I want to pray for a friend that's really going through it. Maybe a man standing by his wife or a wife or a husband just quietly join hands where they are. And that'll be their sign they're praying for each other. Father, you know the hearts. We wait for you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come?